Let's go back to the time when starting a garden led to a movement. Everyone has a story. I am your host, Chris McLean. Welcome to The Time When, a podcast exploring the lives of everyday people. For additional information pertaining to each episode, visit our website, thetimewhen.net. This episode, we have included a lot of resources for starting your own garden. So make sure you go check them out on that website. Also, make sure to participate in our monthly book club. More information on our book club is also available on our website, thetimewhen.net. Also, remember to go subscribe to our podcast and write a review. This month, we are having a raffle where one winner will receive a gift card. All you need to do to be eligible is to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Hello, everybody. Today, we are with teacher Melissa Tracy. Hello. Melissa, you started a, a garden at your school. What, uh, what inspired you to start your, your garden at your school? Uh, so I, I basically stumbled into it, to be quite honest. Um, the first month that I was at my new school, one of the teachers said, well, I would like for us to pursue more sustainability initiatives on campus. Um, anyone who is interested in this new initiative, you know, come to this after school meeting. So we started to talk about basic things like, oh, you know, it'd be great if we recycled. Um, we should try to get kids to, uh, to eat um, better food. And, and then I said, well, I think we need a garden. <laughs> but then when I proposed the idea, I mean, you have to keep in mind that I had absolutely no experience with gardening. Right. I mean, at that time, you could have asked me, what does one plant in a raised bed? And I would have told you I have no clue. <laughs> Any indoor plant that I had previously owned, I had killed. <laughs> so I don't have a green thumb. I still don't. I'm still, I'm kind of going through the process of, of, of figuring things out. Mm. Um, I, I still feel like I understand things at a, a surface level. Um, but, you know, slowly but surely, I'm becoming a more confident gardener. Um, so then the next step was to figure out, well, how does one start a garden program? Yeah. Uh, what does curriculum look like? Um, what, like? What types of things should you plant in the fall and spring on a school campus? Mm -hmm. uh, so then I, I decided to go to an event that was hosted by the Delaware Center for Horticulture. And at that event, I was able to connect with an amazing local nonprofit called Healthy Foods for Healthy Kids. Okay. Um, they've been around for more than a decade. Uh, they have, they probably help run more than 40 gardens at this point, and they're, they're in the process of preparing to expand into Kent and Sussex County. Okay. Um, so I was very fortunate to, to link up with them. Is that and just so a then, local Delaware program? It's a, it's a, it's a Delaware program. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a small nonprofit, um, run by uh, a couple ladies, um, and they just, they really do phenomenal work. Um, mm -hmm. I can't say enough positive things about them. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to them and then they came and did a site visit. And of course, yeah. like being completely ignorant about gardening, you know, it's like, well, you can just put a garden anywhere. And it's like, well, no, they, mm -hmm. you know, you have to, you'd want to identify a place that has full sun. Mm -hmm. You also need to have water access. And then on top of it, it needs to be accessible to students. And we are a K through 12th grade campus. So you don't want it to be located that is too far away. Um, so much so that like the kindergartners can't get access to the garden. Right. So then we identified a, a spot 
Um, but then the next hurdle was funding. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's always a huge hurdle. And so I applied for a couple of grants, but I didn't have a lot of grant experience. I didn't get them. Um, but then I, I was fortunate to, to get funding, at, at least for the initial garden from our, our PTO. Oh, okay. Uh, which is really involved. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in terms of the startup costs for garden, I mean, it really depends on the type of garden that you intend to create. But uh, the startup costs for a garden with eight raised beds, which is about two, 250 square feet, mm -hmm. uh, is easily $5,000. Because wow. you have to pay for the lumber, you have to pay for the soil, you need a place to store all the equipment. You need to buy cultivators and shovels and gloves and all sorts of odds and ends, and, and so it quickly adds up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are cheaper alternatives, um, but we wanted to make sure that we did it right um, from the get-go. So then the next big hurdle was, well, how does one run a garden program? Like, what does that right. look like? Yeah. So fortunately, Healthy Foods for Healthy Kids has developed uh, a curriculum for K through, for, for K through fifth grade. So oh. the bulk of the gardens that exist in our state are actually at elementary schools, which I think mm -hmm. is a whole separate issue. Like I, I firmly believe that we should have a garden program at our elementary, middle and high schools. Like it shouldn't just stop in fifth grade. Like all kids right. benefit from learning about how to grow their own food. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, developed a program by which our uh, kindergarten and first graders would help to plant the seeds. Mm -hmm. Our second graders cultivate the soil. They uh, do composting. Third graders water the, the soil until the seeds germinate. And then fourth and fifth grade get to harvest. Oh, wow. So we started that program. Um, I, for the first time in my life, I found myself teaching kindergartners, <laughs> which <laughs> I thought, I mistakenly thought the first time I could just give them seeds. Right. And, you know, like they would know what to do with them. And what mm -hmm. happened is uh, we had lots of lettuce that was kind of what I call rogue lettuce that ended up growing outside of raised beds because kids were just throwing the seeds. <laughs> so I learned, I was, I have a new appreciation for, for lower school teachers now that I've had some limited interactions with young children that um, there's a whole process that's involved. You have to line them up and you have to show them like how to prep their holes and you have to inspect the seeds and make sure that they put them in the right place. Cause you don't want them taking 20 radish seeds and putting them in one hole. Right. So you've, I've had to be a little bit more methodical about it. So well, I, we, I know you, you teach high ahead. school. I know you yeah. teach high school. When, yeah. when did you find the time to, to teach? Was this like an after school club? Like when did you teach? Oh, it wasn't an after school club, but I, I was fortunate in that the first year I had a, a little bit of a flex period oh. um, just because we were growing high school. And I think you know what that's like at Conrad where sometimes you have weird gaps in your schedule. Yes. Um, but, you know, it was critical that there was somebody who would be able to support the other teachers because at each grade, we had eight, um, eight sections. Oh, so wow. you can imagine that when we were running our garden program, we would have eight sections of students kind of coming through. Mm -hmm. um, I also will mention that the, the first time we did it, I also had the support of uh, Lindsay Lancaster of Healthy Foods for Healthy Kids. So she came in as well and helped me um, with the lessons because I just, I frankly had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I did not set up an irrigation system. So she came in and she checked it for me and she's like, oh yeah, you know, you did a good job. Everything's getting watered. Mm -hmm. uh, but that initial support is super critical, right? It's particularly right. You have no experience gardening whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So we, we did it and then I quickly realized, okay, it's great. We're able to engage for the most part, a K through fifth grade population, but we're essentially leaving out the other half of our school. Mm. 
So uh, we decided, okay, well, we need to find funding to expand our garden. We would like to go from six raised beds to 24. Wow. Um, now, as you go through the whole grant writing process, you almost have to assume that for every grant you get, there's at least one or two that you don't get. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so I wrote a bunch of grants and I was able to get um, six grand in funding to expand the garden. Wow. And that enabled us to pay for the additional beds and also the we had to build a fence around the, the raised beds as well mm-hmm. to keep out the deer and red hogs and, and that kind of thing. Um, so then the, the next year, um, we were able to, to start to engage more students out in the garden. My students in AP Human Geography ended up piloting a geo-inquiry uh, curriculum mm. by which they were able to um, identify food deserts in the city Mm-hmm. And I identify the, the neediest uh, locations in the city of Wilmington. And, um, and then what happened is because we had expanded our garden, we were able to donate some of the extra produce. Oh, okay. Uh, so we donated, that's, um, that's the spring of 2019, we donated about 70% of what we grew because we just got to a point right where it was just not possible for the, the cafeteria to prepare Mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of pounds of spinach, like how much spinach can, <laughs> can kids eat as part of a cafeteria program. Right. Um, and hey, how, you know, it's not, there's only so much lettuce that kids, that kids can eat as part right. of your program. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that was like the next uh, aha moment, right? Is that mm-hmm. our kids could not only have an opportunity to, uh, to learn how to grow food, uh, to feel the satisfaction of, of eating something that you have grown, but then also feel the additional satisfaction of knowing that you are playing a small but significant role in helping to combat food insecurity in the city of Wilmington. Um, yeah. One of the most powerful moments for my AP students is we went and visited a, a local urban farm, Bright mm-hmm. Spots Farm. And so they, they were participating in a, a food justice workshop. You know, um, which is kind of like this hip term, but like, what does it actually mean? Yeah, right? I was going to say, can you explain that to the listeners? Yeah, so I mean, the, the whole notion behind it is um, is that everybody has a human right uh, to have access to healthy food, mm-hmm. right? So it's an issue of justice. It's an issue of equity. Um, so in one moment, the leader of the workshop was talking about her own experience growing up um, in Delaware. And she said, you know, I was a snap kid. I've tried every type of cereal. <laughs> She's like, but I distinctly recall walking into a food closet and for the first time not seeing uh, exclusively boxed and canned food, but actually seeing fresh produce. And she's like, for that first time, I actually felt human. Wow. Right? Uh, yeah. And I know for like from my own background, um, there were times definitely where my family struggled where we did have to, to uh, go to, to food banks. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't get access to fresh fruit and vegetables typically, um, especially in the winter time. Right. So exactly. the next aha moment is like, well, what can we do to amp up what it is that we're, we're growing here on campus? Mm-hmm. So then I applied for some additional funding um, and I was able to get uh, about seven or eight grand in funding um, to build a second teaching garden. Uh, the second teaching garden will be built um, in our courtyard. So it will be used primarily by fifth through eighth grade students. Um, they'll grow things from seed. They'll get to cook some of the 
the uh, harvested uh, vegetables as part of a culinary arts program, and then whatever they can't consume, they'll donate as well. Wow. Um, and then in my own classroom, mm-hmm. um, I have created a, a hydroponic program. Oh. So there's all the different, there's, there's traditional hydroponics and there's aeroponics and, uh, but in essence, it's a hydroponic program. So again, it started off with, okay, well, I need to find money <laughs> yeah. to start this program uh, mm-hmm. because I can't, I know that my school would love to support such a program, but we just don't have that kind of extra money lying around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to get some funding from Teaching Tolerance and from Voya, and we started off with just some tower garden systems. I was like, this is actually pretty easy. It's not as difficult as I thought it, um, thought it is. Um, so the so one big hurdle of what was, of course, identifying funding. So we, we were able to get some initial funding. Um, but then the next hurdle is I have no idea of like, uh, how a hydroponic program works. Mm, I right. the whole concept of like pH and different growing mediums. Again, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we'll just, we'll just try it out and we'll see what happens. Um, and I instantly got hooked and I know the kids got hooked as well because you could grow rainbow chard from seed and within six to seven weeks, you'd have this beautiful head of, uh, of chard that you could harvest. So, um, do, uh, so do foods grow faster with the hydroponic? Um, in some cases, yeah, they do grow faster. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we, we grow all sorts of different things in my classroom. Um, so we can grow all different types of herbs. We grow lettuce, kale, rainbow chard tomatoes, peppers, we grow eggplant, um, pretty much, I mean, we can grow almost anything that isn't a, a, a root vegetable, basically. We can grow peas, we can grow broccoli. Um, some things take longer than others. Uh, yeah. But uh, I have, have since been able to, to acquire an additional 20 grand in funding. Wow. So by next year, I will be able to grow at the very least, 2,500 heads of lettuce. I mean, not exclusively lettuce. I mean, it can be an assortment of different leafy greens. Um, and most of it will be vertical in a variety of different systems. Okay. In the, in the beginning, you, you mentioned when you first tried, you were not able to, to get the grant, to get the funding. But since mm-hmm. then, you've, you've received a lot of different grants and funding. What, what, what do you think is the difference? Like, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who was writing a grant? That's a good, good question. Um, you just, you can't give up. You have to make sure that you have like a real vision for your program. You have to have clear and concrete goals. Um, don't be afraid to, to reach out to local nonprofit, local uh, organizations for support. So some of the funding I have received has actually come from just um Small organizations, $500 here, $1,000 here. I received some funding from Newcastle County um, as well to help support Mm -hmm. the program. Um, And then the other uh, um, big thing um, is to try to to make sure that you're not just serving the needs of your students, but you're trying to develop a program that will serve the needs of an entire community. Oh, okay. And I think that also uh, made a difference as well in some of the the funding. Um, And then it just takes practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to write a couple grants, um, get people to look over them. But, you know, you, you could write a, a, a high quality grant and still not get funding. Mm, yeah. Like, there's just absolutely no guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then, um, uh, you know, at least with some of the initial grants, I, I worked really closely with our uh, nutrition staff. Okay. Um, and I think that was helpful as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, they, and then obviously the, the critical support of, uh, of Healthy Foods for Healthy Kids made a difference too. I think um, like one uh, of the grants I received, uh, you know, they give, uh, uh, they give, they have a priority for people who are already working with some sort of supporting organization. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned the term uh, food desert, me being mm -hmm. a, a history teacher. Uh, I'm familiar with that term, but everybody might not be familiar. Can you just kind of explain that? So there are, there are different ways to go about defining a food desert, but essentially it's a place, um, whether it's in an urban or rural community where people have limited access to, to healthy foods. Mm -hmm. um, so one barrier might be transportation. Okay. Right, where you might have to walk five miles to get to a supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. And that the only um, places that exist within your neighborhood are, are uh, like bodegas or liquor stores, right? Which may have a limited uh, quantity of fresh fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then not always, but typically these are places that are, um, you know, disadvantaged communities as well, right? right. Um, mm -hmm. So that tends to be the, uh, the biggest kind of determinant. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's different metrics. It really varies from one place to another. Okay. If somebody wanted to start their own garden at home, that's actually something I was thinking about doing mm -hmm. <laughs> during this quarantine time. Mm -hmm. What, uh, any advice for like the, the regular home garden? So a really easy project is Mason, uh, is Mason jar gardening. Hmm. So you could get a mason jar. Um, at the bottom level, you would fill it with with sand and then with some um, small pebbles and then just some potting soil. Okay. And then you could you could start with some herbs. I mean, things like basil mm -hmm. grow prolifically. Um, so that would be something that's really easy. Um, if you're interested in dabbling in hydroponics, there are uh, lots of options out there where literally you're just dropping something into a container with water and, and turning on the grow lights. I mean, <laughs> it's foolproof. So Arrow, Arrow Garden um, has a, a whole line of uh, hydroponics that they've developed um, that people could access. Um, I mean, some of what I'm doing is at a larger scale, right. but I mean, that, that's, that's something that someone could start with um, if they wanted to. Um, oh, yeah. And good. then sometimes you just, I mean, the biggest thing, the one thing that's most important is that, um, I mean, it depends on what you're growing, but you need sun and you need water. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Any, um, what are your future plans for, for, for expanding or your garden at school? Uh, so as of right now, um, we are still at the point by which we are expanding our hydroponic program in my classroom. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I'm almost at that point where I've run out of space. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, okay, so any, anything that I want to do, I have to have the input and this, the support of, of our board and our teachers and our students and our parents. So I could have a really great idea, but if, yeah. if, it, if, if, it, uh, if it means that I'm the only one running the program or if kids aren't going to be able to, to help lead the initiative, then it's not something that um, I can go forward with pursuing. So, and how has the school community kind of reacted to everything so far? They've been really- I think for the, for the most part, we've had pretty good buy-in. I mean, sometimes it's tough, right? Because mm -hmm. Uh, the garden can sometimes feel like one more thing that I have to do with my kids. Mm -hmm. So I try to make it as easy as possible for teachers. Um, 
you know, I, I was fortunate last year to, to have a flex period and that made it possible for me to go outside, um, to be there out in the garden, to help the teachers do the, the, the short lesson so that they could get back to their classroom, you right. know, try to make it so that it doesn't feel like a burden. It's just something fun for you to do with your students one time, you know, per season. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that part has been critical and my school has been really good about recognizing that in order to run, you know, a garden program with 36 raised beds mm -hmm. um, and to run a program um, by which you have animals, you have pollinator gardens and everything else, um, mm -hmm. you, you need, you need several people to have um, some flexibility. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I've learned as well that's, that's super critical is that you have to train other teachers and get them excited about the garden and provide them with, leadership opportunities as well. So the second garden that it that will be built will be uh, more or less run by two other teachers. Wow. So I, I'm, I'm there as a resource and to help support them and to provide them with the seeds. And uh, But you know, once they get really confident with running their small program, my goal is just to step back and to not hover and bother them. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, that's, I think that's how it should be, right? Because right. if you want something to be sustainable, it can't just be one person who knows how to do everything. Exactly. Um, the other thing, too, that we have done that I think um, is, is a really simple but brilliant idea is that we share the produce with our teachers. Oh. So our students uh, uh, actually deliver produce directly to the teacher's classroom. Wow. Is so it just they sign up for it? or mm -hmm, They sign up for it. So we do it with our eggs and with our, our vegetables. So um, I would say at least half of our staff every season signs up for a share. Oh. Um, and then we have students of different grade levels that help distribute the produce. So for our, for our program with our, our chickens, um, our, we have a small special needs classroom mm -hmm. um, that uh, assists with the egg collection. So that's like one of the things that they get to do. They get to go outside, they collect the eggs, and then they um, get to go visit a new teacher's classroom. Huh. Um, and I think to a certain extent that helps with behavior modification. It gives them right. something to look forward to, mm -hmm. um, get a help assist with socialization. I mean, they, they get to feel like they're, um, doing something that's part of a greater good. Right. And then, um, typically my food study students are the ones that help with, uh, the, the food deliveries. So I give them a list and then they go out onto the campus. Um, and most teachers are pretty excited to get the produce. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it, get, it encourages them to try different things. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have as much experience with. Um, yeah. Next year, I would like for my food study students to make cooking demos um, and then to put the, have like a little tag with a QR code so that, you know, if a teacher gets the delivery and they're like, I don't know what the hell, like what the hell is Swiss chard? What do I do with it? <laughs> right. They can watch a little cooking demo, right? Like here's a really <laughs> simple recipe, something that you can do with Swiss chard. Mm-hmm. The other thing I've no, uh, that I'd like to work on as well um, as we go forward is, you know, when we prepare to deliver produce to people in need, mm -hmm. um, to try to actually create like little meal kits. So yeah. like here's a, a leafy green and then here's like a starch and some seasonings. Like here's a really simple dish that you can make at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, so like it's, it's almost like a blue apron, um, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Similar concept. Yeah. Uh, and then have the students help design the menus. We have a grocery store that's within walking distance of our school, so they could even help to shop for some of the goods and things like that and then pack them into boxes for the families. Yeah. Um, I mean, going forward, uh, especially with COVID, uh, our food insecurity crisis, it's not going to go away. I mean, it's always mm. been there, kind of 
lurking in the shadows. Um, but it's uh, it's going to continue to to be a, a major issue. Would families at your school would they be able to purchase the food, or would that be like a liability issue or anything? Oh, uh, it's not necessarily a liability issue. I mean, it's something that we have thought about. Um, so last year when we were trying to raise funds for our goats, we thought about doing a goat fund me. <laughs> so like basically, you know, you could buy purchase some of the produce from the garden mm-hmm. at below market. Right. Um, right. Right. So still very cheap, but it's just like you're making a, a donation to our program. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this this spring and summer, we're running our garden. So we have a skeleton crew of people, um, including myself, who go to the garden every every weekend, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't do all that other kind of stuff. But our plan in the next two to three weeks is to offer a free share to our families. So the first oh, wow. hundred families who sign up mm-hmm. um, will be able to, to get uh, fresh produce and we'll probably set it up like a car line. Yeah. You know, like a drive through type of thing because of COVID. And um, hopefully um, some of our nutrition staff will help with cleaning the produce and packaging it so that we make sure um, that uh, we are compliant with CDC uh, uh, guidelines and so forth. But um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, the, the idea is that we can, even if the kids can't be in the garden this season, at least they'll somehow have access to it. Right. And then the idea is that maybe it'll encourage kids to, um, to try out some new recipes at home. Mm-hmm. So we will offer some, um, like a virtual curriculum, basically. So we'll bring the garden to the kids. Yeah. And then when social distancing loosens, then maybe we can, um, you know, have some families out in the garden. But right now it's just, there's only three of us that are, that are out in the garden. We have to, because yeah. we, we have to abide by social, social distancing right. um, yeah. rules. Um, but yeah, we written, uh, initially thought that, you know, we'll just put it to bed, let it go. But I mean, who knows how long COVID, this, the whole situation with COVID is going mm-hmm. to last. Mm-hmm. Well, if you ever have any extra lettuce, let me know <laughs> because we eat salad all the time here. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll send you um, it's a, a tutorial for um, setting up your own hydroponic system because you can easily grow lettuce oh, yeah. and, then, and then you cut it and it'll grow back. So you don't even have to plant new pods, but super, super easy. I'll send you a couple different options, like oh, okay, great. a cheap option if you want to make your own for 20 bucks. Um, or if you want to actually purchase like a, a system to, to grow your produce, but you, and you can grow everything indoors so you can have fresh lettuce year round. Uh, I, the, the tutorial that was created, um, I thought was, was really simple and straightforward. So I can, I can share that with you. Yeah, thank uh, you. The other, um, good option. Another simple thing to do if you want to dabble in gardening is, um, to take like a milk crate mm-hmm. and you can even purchase the liners or you can make your own. And you can do what they call like square foot gardening. Hmm. So you can use melt, you can do, um, so if you don't want to go out and make like a raised bed or, or right. invest in some, in something significant, um, you could just purchase a couple milk crates or, or get some milk crates that, you know, are from like a grocery store mm-hmm. and um, go from there. You can garden that way too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's great advice. <laughs> I really yeah. learned a lot about gardening. I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. Remember to go to our website, thetimewen.net, for resources on starting your own garden. And go subscribe to our podcast and leave a review.
this month we are having a raffle where one winner will receive a gift card. All you need to do to be eligible is to subscribe and leave a review. And remember, everyone has a story.